Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad here with you as always and thank you for joining me for this podcast after the Brazilian Grand Prix. What a great race it was. Probably not the most classic when it came to the middle part of the race. I'll talk about it in great length anyway. But the ending certainly was one that um, everyone was thrown off their chairs probably and just when you look at the results and the podium and everything um, it's certainly going to be a memorable one for this year so yeah can't wait to talk about Brazil it's also a pretty special podcast this week as well because I've got myself a special guest on a bit later or well we recorded this over the weekend so it's going to be cut into this um this recording um but i had none other than dino from the region e racing podcast if you guys remember that i was on their podcast earlier this year talking about moto e and also you know getting to know a little bit more about formula e and you know dino coming on this uh this week's podcast with me i did get to learn a bit more about formula e we previewed the upcoming season which kicks off this weekend um this coming weekend i should say in saudi arabia so yeah um stay tuned for that part i'm not going to talk any more about formula e just yet but i do feel a bit more enlightened after having him on board and it was it was a great chat so yeah i look forward to seeing what you guys think of it and if you guys are looking forward to it i hope to hear some uh, feedback on it as well I mean, it'd be great to have someone like Dino come on a bit more often, if possible, you know, um, see what we can do in the new year. But as for the present, well, here we go, Brazilian Grand Prix and a cracker of a race. You know, we had strategy influence a bit of it, then we had some safety car madness at the end of the race but ultimately when you look at it on paper just who won the race you know Max Verstappen from pole position it doesn't really scream out that it was a incredible race you know because the driver won from pole position but when you piece together what happened in between uh, surely you know it'll be <laughs> one that everyone will talk about and remember for for this year and heading into next year as well so our podium order actually wasn't determined till post-race. So we had uh, Max Verstappen, of course, win the race. Pierre Gasly in a Toro Rosso finishing second. Um, first F1 podium for him, of course, and second for Toro Rosso this year. You know, they've had such an incredible year uh, and now sit on the prospect of, you know, finishing ahead of Renault for fifth in the Constructors' Championship, which would be Toro Rosso's best finish in a Constructors' Championship in the team's existence so you know when you look at the list of achievements that they've had you know the win the pole position from Sebastian Vettel back in 08 um, and then of course you know this year Danny Kvyat on the podium in Germany and now Pierre Gasly who himself only seven races ago was dumped by Red Bull um, back to the junior team and now he's come out and scored a podium it's it's fantastic and then Carlos Sainz for McLaren Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, they're not the words that I said at the time when, when we found out, but I'm so over the moon. I, you guys don't understand, you know, as a fan of McLaren, and I'm sure all the McLaren fans out there were just up in the air and cheering, crying, whatever, you know, let the emotion out. Just let it all out because it's been, what, 2,072 days since a McLaren last finished on the podium. Mind you, Carlos didn't actually get to stand on the podium during the ceremony um, because it was Lewis Hamilton who finished third on track but was hit with a five-second penalty afterwards for um, his uh, botched pass on Alex Albon later in the race. Um, bit of a lazy move from Hamilton. You know, Albon left the door quite wide open but um Hamilton it could have been a clean move but um managed to to tag Albon put him in a spin and put Albon ultimately out of podium contention otherwise you know perhaps Albon could have been up on the podium a Red Bull 1-2 finish but you know it was still a a Honda powered 1-2 finish you know the first for for Honda power since the 1991 Japanese Grand Prix believe it or not that day was Gerhard Berger finishing first and uh, Ayrton Senna in second so and actually I think in the live blog <laughs> I said it was Ayrton Senna that won that race from Gerhard Berger so apologies I, I, I did the research this time and got the right um, 
got the right result. But yeah, you know, a day of firsts in many respects, and then ultimately that five-second penalty for Hamilton dropped him to seventh as a result, and that um, confirmation came through probably an hour after the race was finished, I think. So it, yeah, it took some time, but the trophy was given to Science in the end. And Science himself had a fantastic race. When you think about him starting from the back of the grid, you know, they had a power unit problem in qualifying. It was a dark day on Saturday for those guys. But then in the race, he he one-stopped it from the rear of the field, finished fourth on track. And then, you know, as a result, you know, gets promoted to to third so good on him good on the team can't speak highly enough of it and i'm sure it won't be the last time we see carlos Sainz um gracing or <laughs> collecting trophies for f1 podiums and hopefully not the last we'll see of mclaren in the near future as well so other than that well just quickly on lewis hamilton i mean yeah lazy move but he came out quickly afterwards and apologized and took full responsibility for the move so you know there was a few people that came out and bashed him for it but it's totally unwarranted because you know he came out and he owned his mistake and that's one thing that you know when you look back over the years with Hamilton and how you know he's matured as a driver he's a six-time world champion now so much responsibility yada 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 owning this mistake is you know is one of those things that you know a mature six-time world champion does so good on him for doing that I mean I was thinking back, you know, when when reading these comments that were bashing Hamilton, I'm like, well, it's not really 2011, again, where, you know, he was running into Felipe Massa all the time and then blaming Massa for for all the incidents. So it's totally different to, to how things were and, you know, good on him for coming out and doing that. So... Unfortunately, that was that was his race there, P7. Not that it matters, given that they've wrapped up the championships, both Mercedes and Hamilton. But, you know, it wasn't the greatest race for Mercedes because you had Valtteri Bottas also out of the race, power unit failure or something along those lines on lap 52. That's what brought out the first of the two safety cars. Um, but between Max and Lewis, it was great fighting, great, great stuff out there, you know, strategically, they both went on the same strategy, you know, they were, um, Max pulled the trigger, or Red Bull pulled the trigger first, great stops for Max, both his pit stops were 1.9 seconds, um, sub 2-0, which is phenomenal when you consider changing four tyres or whatever on you know, on a race car, that's two seconds. To do it under two seconds, I mean, what can you do under two seconds? Exactly. <laughs> um, though his first stop was kind of hampered by the unsafe release of Robert Kubitzer in the Williams. So, you know, Red Bull did this, did the job in the pits. You know, Max would have come out ahead of Lewis on track, but unfortunately, it was yeah the unsafe release from Robert Kubitzer that kind of hurt. That kind of hurt him, uh, but second stop again, 1.5 seconds, Max actually pitted on the safety car, so doing that, you know, when Bottas was out of the race actually helped Max because he didn't really lose any time, the pack was all compressed again, he was still second in, you know, he was second in the queue, or second as far as behind Lewis Hamilton was concerned in the timing, so he, after the you know, green flag came out, they went back racing, you know, Verstappen was already passed, or didn't take too long to pass Hamilton for the lead, it was when the next safety car came out, which was, ha ha ha, contact between both the Ferrari guys, um, that impending explosion, or implosion that I've been talking about, or that I talked about a while ago, and wrote that article about too, I might even put the link of that article in this description, or the show notes for this week, just for everyone to have a bit of a refresher, um, you know, I know back then, it was sort of people saying, oh, the media are blowing it out of proportion, and everything, but this is all what we were fearing would happen, so contact between the two Ferrari teammates on lap 66, uh, Leclerc on, they were on similar, you know, they were on the same tyres basically, and should have been allowed to race, they were racing, Leclerc goes into turn one, gets past Vettel, coming out of the chicane, then on the the first straight that comes, and the next DRS zone at the end of the first sector, Leclerc leaves 
you know, room. Vettel's on the right-hand side, and to the right of Vettel is the grass. And basically what happens is both of them touch. You know, it's, just, it's such a... It looks like such a um, minor touch, yet the consequences were pretty catastrophic. Both cars sustained damage. They were both out of the race. Would you say Sebastian Vettel was at fault? Because, you know, Leclerc kind of left him the space and he didn't have to turn. Neither of them had to turn. Oh, Vettel didn't have to turn left. Could have just stayed straight. But, um, you know, no penalty was given by the stewards. So it was it was a, deemed a racing incident. But internally, there's going to be a lot of questions asked, I'm sure. And, you know, both the drivers have to go back to the factory now and um, explain themselves to all the employees and... Um, engineers and staff that are there because you know they could have had a podium on the day and again this is like typical ferrari problems they always seem to find a way to stuff something up so we were saying that the last two races for them this year are crucial given that you know it's not been the greatest year for them after the mid-season break they appeared to have the momentum they had you know what six pole positions in a row three wins as well in a row and they could have had a few more if things didn't, uh, they didn't stuff up on their own end. Even on the driver's side of things, when you look at Russia, um, what could have that swap implemented and stuff like that. I think it was after Russia that I wrote that article um, about the impending implosion at Ferrari. So I will dig that one up for you guys to, to have a read again or put in the description of the show. But yeah, it was just kind of an unnecessary incident. And, um, you know, it's only going to bring more scrutiny upon them and also how do the both the drivers look at each other or approach each other now you know heading into the final race but more crucially next year when they could be in championship contention or you know have a car good enough to fight Mercedes and Red Bull for the title so yeah potential podium gone begging there for Ferrari again they just didn't really have you could say the race pace to match Red Bull or Mercedes, even when you look at the Friday pace analysis and everything, they were behind um, Red Bull and Mercedes when it came to their to their race pace. Um, otherwise, qualifying they were up there. Vettel was second on the grid, but um, Verstappen was just you know phenomenal all weekend, so couldn't really take that one away from him. So that's that's the story of Ferraris race I guess another point going back to Hamilton sorry he made a additional pit stop when that um, second safety car came out for the Ferraris it was an unnecessary stop I guess they can question it afterwards uh, but I guess as a push on fresher tyres to go for the race win you know in hindsight maybe if they didn't stop him for that additional stop perhaps he may not have made the contact with Albon um, and wouldn't have ruined his own race too, ultimately finishing off the podium in, in in seventh as a result of the penalty. So that was one for Mercedes to mull over in what has otherwise been a pretty perfect season, you know, apart from Germany, which was, you know, arguably their worst race of the year. You can't wait to see the episode of that on Netflix um, next year for Drive to Survive. And, you know, quite a few moments that I'm looking forward to, you know, rather than watching uh, the season review <laughs> DVDs that have become a bit boring over the years, you know, this Netflix series has been amazing. Well, was amazing the first one that we saw of the 2018 season, um, which came out in March this year. And if you guys haven't watched it yet and would like to be enlightened more about Formula One and also just how the 2018 season went, go watch Drive to Survive on Netflix. Not that I'm being paid to plug it at all. It's just a, a personal recommendation, which I think anyone who um, maybe is on the fringe of it, being an F1 fan or or likes good documentaries and stuff like that, they they should watch it because, you know, it's not very... It's not a very um, technical thing. There's not a lot of jargon or that sort of thing. It's it's very open for anyone to come along and watch it. It's got drama, excitement, tension, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, for anyone who likes that sort of stuff, I'm sure it's um, going to be good. So please go and watch it. I know a couple of people who are not F1 fans that did watch it, so and they enjoyed it. Not that they'll watch F1 now, but um, they just enjoyed watching it as a, as a series on Netflix. So there you go. That's the key to liking anything. It has to be a series on Netflix. Not saying that I, I'd get on board with anything like that, but um, for some people, perhaps. 
that's what floats their boat. Anyway, with Leclerc as well, he started from 14 because he had that um, penalty for for exceeding his engine usage for the for the year. So he took on a fourth internal combustion engine. Um, so again, the crash with his teammate kind of ruined the day that Leclerc had because he had a great run from 14th up the up the grid. First few laps, he had already made he made his way past a few cars. So. You know, that sort of won't be remembered as much as Science, for example, now on the podium from P20. So, you know, you've got to say Science, arguably, the driver of the day. Elsewhere, you know, when you look down the field, there was a clash between Kevin Magnussen and Daniel Ricciardo. Haas, unfortunately, you know, they were both in the top 10 in qualifying, but then just the race fell away from them as usual. Magnussen, you know, pretty torrid because he was hit by Ricciardo. Dan given the five-second penalty, but still ended up finishing in the points in P6 as a result of the Hamilton penalty. So, good result for him despite the penalty on hand, and that's three races in a row now that uh, Ricardo scored points, and three key races too when you look at the Constructors' Championship that they've got um, going with Toro Rosso. The battle now, eight points between the two heading into the final race, and fifth in the Constructors very much are on the line, you know, and it's not been the greatest year of Renault, as we've documented all throughout the year on the podcast and everything, and you know, if they lose that fifth now as well to Toro Rosso, I think that'll be a real kick in the stones for those guys, so yeah, Magnussen unfortunately kicked in the stones repeatedly, you know, not having the pace, getting hit by Dan, even though Dan got the penalty, it didn't really make Magnussen's race any better, because he came back after the last safety car, he was able to make up a few places, but still finished 11th, so agonizingly, just outside the points, unfortunately, Grosjean, same story, you know, he just fell away, and just didn't have the pace in the race, or, you know, on the tyres to, to do anything, really, so, again, second worst car of the day, ahead of the Williams, um, or behind the Williams, I should say, as being the worst car on the day, um, who, a team that has been pretty bad over the last few races, Alfa Romeo, they, they got the results that they needed, they got their season best result, um, with fourth and fifth as a result of the Hamilton penalty, they both two stopped. Kimi Raikkonen fourth, you know, best result for him in an Alpha. Antonio Giovinazzi as well got the news last week that he would be staying with the team for 2020 and got fifth too. So, you know, their first points in seven races. So pretty much since the Belgian Grand Prix coming back from the mid-season break. So a much-needed boost for those guys, and they've pretty much. Um, sealed out I think it's eighth in the constructors championship so there's no chance for Haas to to score or get you know get close and score more than they can but there is the chance now that they can uh, Alfa Romeo can catch up to Racing Point and overtake them for seventh so quite a few positions up for grabs in this final race coming up in Abu Dhabi but um, you know in a couple of weeks that we've got until then I think you know they can be left to celebrate uh, the uh, the results that they got in Brazil. Toro Rosso were helped by Danny Kvyat also scoring points in 10th, so, you know, that's where that um, eight-point deficit to Renault comes. Also, Sergio Perez, ninth again, scoring a couple of points for Racing Point. Um, how many times can I say point, 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 point? I'm bored of the word point now. But, um, yeah, Checo, this is just, you know, how impressive he's been as a driver throughout his career. He can just, you know, has a bad qualifying, eh, doesn't matter. I'll make up those places in the race, so he's done really well this year, considering how limited they have been, you know, they've not been able to really, I guess this is sort of a legacy of what happened last year at the team, is that their development has sort of been stunted, and unfortunately, you know, Lance Stroll as a result has sort of caught the the wrong end of the stick with that, so he'll be hoping for a better season next year, and Checo as well, so... Um, That'll be very exciting to see when 2020 rolls around. So until then, though, what a race. What a race it was. Um, I guess the ending of the race and the start, the competition between Hamilton and, and Verstappen as well was really exciting. But just seeing these 
different names on the podium, you know, a first podium for Gasly, first podium for Sainz, it's also the youngest ever podium that they've had in Formula 1, you know, youngest average age, and it's great because these drivers, all three of them, were brought into the system by Red Bull at a, at a young age, and you look at where Sainz is now, he's branched out on his own to McLaren, and he's the team leader at McLaren, Gasly, you know, re-establishing himself at Toro Rosso after being dumped by Red Bull this year, you got to feel for Albon, though, like, <laughs> the podium was there and god that was such a um, such a disaster what happened there um but the chance is still there for him to score a podium um in Abu Dhabi potentially so if he does do that then all four Red Bull drivers this year would have been on the podium so how about that that would be quite something too so very exciting times ahead and I can't wait for Abu Dhabi if the um this last race in Brazil is anything to go by Alright, just going to do a quick hit the globe and look at what's happening elsewhere in the motorsport world this time, um, just so we can get to the chat with Dino as quick as possible. That was, it went for like 45 minutes, I think, so it was a pretty lengthy discussion, but um, it was good fun. But we got the Supercars final round this weekend in Newcastle, so really we're, we're looking at the team's championship in that between Shelby Power Racing and... Red Bull Holden Racing Team, um, 116 points between those guys, so it's very much at play, and, you know, one bad result um, could, you know, sway it to the other one, you know, a lot to play out as far as that's concerned, and I'll have the full debrief next week anyway from that event, and also the Talking Points article that I usually do, and then we have the MotoGP finale in Valencia over the weekend, and, you know, um, in the background, I've got the, the testing going on. They've got the postseason test or 2020 starts now test on where you get to see the new riders uh, on, you know, with their new teams and everything. You know, they might not have their 2020 bikes just yet, but, you know, it's an important test. So record-breaking season for Mark Marquez, obviously, who won the championship. 420 points he scored this year, which is the most in the premier class but also when you look at honda repsol honda winning the team's championship i think they only they scored like 450 points altogether or something like that so 420 points just scored by mark marquez is like he pretty much single-handedly won won them the constructors or the team's championship this year so that is incredible and you know when you look at the other side of the garage at at the Repsol Honda team, while Jorge Lorenzo announced last week that he's going to be retiring, or well, he has retired now from from MotoGP and motorcycle racing altogether. So we wish him all the best in retirement. You know, I guess the injuries this year really took a toll on him. He's not been really the really great this year, adapting to the Honda after Ducati last couple of years. So. I guess this was the only thing for Lorenzo to do, and that was to step away altogether. And at least he's a celebrated five-time champion in the sport as well. You know, he's won three titles in the Premier class, and you know, two two minor titles as well in the junior category. So he's he's going to go down as one of the greats. You know, and you know, racing Valentino Rossi at his peak as well. Um, Casey Stoner, the like, Danny Pedrosa, then you know, the arrival of Mark Marquez. So. You know, Lorenzo's achievements will stand, and then, of course, the last couple of years will be remembered for all the difficulties that he has had. Obviously, switching from the Yamaha to Ducati, and then, you know, announcing that he'll be leaving Ducati last year and coming to Honda, and then Honda this year has not been great for him either, and the nasty injuries that he sustained in the middle of the year ultimately making up his mind for him. We had uh, Fabio Quattararo on the podium in Valencia along with Jack Miller. So, you know, successful rookie year for Quattararo. Looking forward to seeing what he can do next year on factory spec machinery. Still at the Sepang Racing Team, um, Patronus Yamaha squad. And then Jack Miller, of course, as well on the, you know, 2020 spec Ducati next year. Coming off his most successful season this year. And also the most successful season for any Pramac Ducati rider. So I think, he what, five podiums or something he scored? So very good stuff from Viva Miller. <laughs> I love that account on social media. The Dios Miller account. Good, good fun, good fun. So I'll talk a bit more in a bit more length about MotoGP and supercars next time. Anyway, supercars at least. MotoGP we can leave for another time. 
interesting hearing news that um, in Jorge Lorenzo's place next year we'll have Alex Marquez. So it's going to be a Marquez double act uh, with Alex making his debut in MotoGP and alongside his older brother Mark. So for those who are getting sick of Mark Marquez dominating MotoGP, well, you know, now you've got younger Marquez coming in, um, Alex, and he's meant to be no slouch either. So, yeah, we'll see how 2020 fares. But in the meantime, we've got this test on in the background to enjoy and um, watch. So... As far as where this is concerned for this week, thank you for joining us. Coming up is my chat with Dino over the weekend about the Formula E season coming up this weekend. But uh, normal service will resume next week where we'll preview the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and hopefully recap the Supercars event in Newcastle. So until then, have a good one, guys. Stay cool and we'll see you then. So now we're going to talk a bit of Formula E with the new season coming up um, the following weekend, starting off in Saudi Arabia. And for that, I've recruited the help of none other than uh, my friend at Region E Racing Podcast in Dean. Um, thank you, Dean, for joining me for this uh, little discussion. You know more about Formula E than I do, and I'm hoping to be a bit enlightened by whatever you have to say this afternoon. Brilliant. I've, I've been looking forward to this all week, actually. It, it's... It's um it's really good to be on, so thank you very much. No problem. I did enjoy my time on your podcast a few months ago. That was good fun. So talking about Moto E that time, but yeah, Formula E that's your um big thing. And you know, just let's start off by you know getting into why it is you love Formula E so much. What attracted you to it, and um, share your thoughts on how you feel that the category has advanced in the last six years. Um, I can't believe it has been six years since um, Formula E burst onto the scene. Yeah, it's gone quick. I think I started watching at the back end of season three, um, and that was that was mainly due to uh, Jean-Éric Verne. I used to watch him in Toro Rosso, uh, and then he got uh, unfortunately kicked out and uh, went to Formula E. And there was a couple of others like Sebastian Buemi who went there as well. And um, it sort of became a thing on my radar when my brother-in-law, he used to watch it as well. And I had no idea. And um, so that's that's sort of how our podcast started is, hey, do you watch this? Yeah, I do. Um, do you want to talk about it and record it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it was, it was really, really cool. Um, Formula E... It's come a long way. It's it's really a series that's that's had, um, I would say, a lot of new and interesting ideas come into it. Um, but I mean, there's there's quite a few manufacturers to start with as well. So it's good to see them. Uh, you've got Porsche, Mercedes coming in uh, this season for season six. Mahindra, Nissan, Neo, Audi, Jaguar. And these are, you know, these are pretty much top tier manufacturers. These guys, they know what they're doing. You know, their racing pedigree is is incredible. Um, and you know, I mean, you'll be no stranger to the dominance of Mercedes at the moment, um, Gerard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Formula One, and it's good to see them try and branch out away from that as well, and perhaps future proof themselves as well in racing. And it's, you know, just evolution i guess you know once upon a time all these guys would have raced sports cars or whatever was um top tier at the time but you know looking at where the technology and stuff is going it's um good to see them all jump behind it and porsche and audi obviously because um they fall under the same umbrella being owned by the volkswagen audi group and then you know the asian manufacturers as well neo i guess no one had really heard much about until if you follow racing, yeah, until the Formula E involvement and then Mahindra as well from India, is it's good. So quite a bit of diversity out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the cars the cars come a long way as well. Um, I mean, the, the first sort of Gen 1 car was very much... Uh, I mean, it wasn't a laggard by any stretch, but the, the Gen 2 car has just really... It's made things a lot more exciting. It's sort of, um, it's eliminated, um, it's eliminated car swaps as well. Yeah. So the, um, yeah, 
at, at the start you needed to have two cars per driver because the car couldn't get the whole way um but now with the new batteries and tech and and it's just yeah it, it, and sometimes it is just a flat out race which we're hoping to sort of minimize but um yeah it, it's it's brought some some um some exciting strategy instead of instead of a car swap where the bigger drivers were a bit penalized because they couldn't get in and out of the car uh, as quick as the more slight sort of sam bird like characters so yeah yeah it's good it's good yeah it does also um it was kind of a deterrent i guess for most people watching you know instead of a regular pit stop you had to swap for a whole new car you know it kind of upset the flow of the race a little bit maybe but i reckon just on pure looks the gen 2 car looks very striking and very unique as well you know it's not trying to look like any other open wheeler out there which i think i really like about it and you know it just stands out from from everywhere else but um you're talking about attack mode as well and some of the rule changes about that coming into the new season so for those who are not familiar attack mode is kind of like you know drs or is a push to pass kind of thing am i correct or am i way off on that one so it's it's a piece of racetrack uh that's off the racing line normally on a hairpin or uh close uh close to a hairpin on the straight um so you actually have to you know make sure that you hit it um and there's a couple of detection zones in that piece of racetrack um that the driver has to arm to get attack mode so in this season it'll be an extra 35 kilowatts of power um, and it's for a certain period of time that you can use it Um, and once you've picked it up it's just automatically on um, for a certain period it might be three minutes or four minutes i can't remember which Um, but you can only have that at certain times of the race Um, and there is a specified number of times that you can collect attack mode. So that sort of brings in a quite large element of strategy. Um, Last season, you could get it under safety cars, yellows, and so a lot of the drivers would just keep it, keep it, uh, safety car, and then you'd have a train going slowly through it. Um, and, And that sort of took away from what it was trying to do. But this season yellow flags and safety cars you can't use attack mode and so right if you i mean it really is a gamble if there's a safety car during the end of the race and you've still got an attack mode disqualified so it'll it'll mean that a lot of people will be using it further uh, towards the start of the race um the mid period um so yeah, it's something that's quite different. I'm not sure about your thoughts on it, what you think of it, but it, it really does sort of bring a strategy element, replaces um, pit stops in a way, um, because quite quite difficult to be able to charge the cars mid-race. Yeah, that's what I was thinking exactly, that um, it's more strategic and kind of a replacement for pit stops so in that way i find it very intriguing and how the teams or the car drivers sorry um look to deploy it and now that you've mentioned that under safety cars or yellow flags you can't actually use it then you know drivers are going to have to be a bit more wiser about when they when they use it during the race and Quick, so this is completely different to the fan boost system. I'm guessing fan boost is still around. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people don't like the fan boost. Um, the fan boost is basically a popularity contest online where you vote for your favourite driver, and five of them currently get fan boost. Uh, it is a sort of push to pass. Uh, it's a few seconds, but a major boost in um energy and um yeah some drivers get it some drivers don't uh, voting for that you can vote up to 15 minutes into the race and i think it starts a week before um but uh, yeah i think it does give an advantage so that's that's another strategy element of formula e is you know 
Um, so basically, Stoffel Van Dorn and four other drivers fight for the fan boost every every race. <laughs> so it's basically whoever's got the biggest fan base is going to be the one who's got the fan boost. I didn't actually, um, I didn't actually see it as being such a huge booster i thought it might have just been a tiny little boost but yeah from what you're saying it sounds like it does have the ability to make the difference when it comes to you know perhaps the pointy end of a race or key positions a driver's fighting for so you know i hope maybe down the line they're gonna might tweak it or something what do you reckon they'll do i hope they do tweak it i really do because i mean stoffel van dorn obviously um a big big fan base and absolutely correctly you know brilliant driver um he's i mean he's good on social media isn't he and yeah well you know i'm I'm a big fan of his obviously since his mclaren days at formula one so if i was to jump on to do the fan boost thing which i've never done before um i would probably give the love to to stoffel there but yeah he's got the big social media presence and just i think yeah a lot of people ever since formula one have tacked on to him and and stayed yeah and i think it sort of pushes people um towards those sort of drivers and and maybe it makes them check out formula e which is all good but a lot of the bigger factory drivers I mean, they could get the whole Audi factory to vote for Daniel Apt, let's say. Oh, and okay. that's, that's, so that's thousands of votes, you know. Right. So that's kind of a loophole in that, you know, you could have team employees voting for it, you know, back at the factory then. I didn't really think of that, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's They, they say it's a solid system, Um I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that aren't really convinced. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it could get games potentially. And, and we did see, obviously, uh, Daniel Apt and um, Lucas Degrassi get it quite a fair bit. But, I mean, I'm not saying there was anything untoward going on. But, yeah, a lot of those factory drivers up the pointy end do get it a lot. And so it would be nice, you know, Nick DeVries, it would be nice to see him get it. Um, yeah, another driver that I've got um, my eye on for this new season because kind of his career, just the way it's gone. So this year, obviously, winning the Formula 2 championship, we've still got a round to go in Abu Dhabi next time out. But, you know, he was destined or he was at McLaren for quite some time on their books as a young driver and then last year decided to sort of break free of that and do his own thing and then we're like well is he going to get into f1 or not doesn't look likely and then i said well look you know a plum formula e drive would be fantastic and to end up with mercedes uh, a factory like mercedes is pretty good and you know just quickly on those two van dorn and de Vries, what do you reckon how they'll go as a combination van dorn's already got a, a year under his belt and um de Vries, no slouch from what we've seen in formula two Stoffel will go well. I think he's he's had a podium uh, last season in season five. He's quick in qualifying. I think he didn't have the car under him last season, HWA, who have now morphed into Mercedes. I don't think, you know, it was very much a transition year for them, a learning year. And I think he sort of put the car above where where it should have been. Um, and, and, you know, Gary Paffett... Uh, DTM champion, great driver. I think he sort of put the car where it should have been. Um, and but but Stoffel's Stoffel's a talent. I think he'll do really well. And my co-host Chris really rates him. Um, I think he's. We did predictions in the last episode, and I think he's got him like eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, top 10 list now that um, from your last episode and he's not in that top 10. So just to be sitting outside that top 10 finishing 11th is pretty good. And that leads to my next question about, you know, we've had two new big manufacturers come into Formula E this year. Well, 
Mercedes not really, given that they were HWA last year, but now that they're branded as a factory Mercedes team, and then of course Porsche, which is a completely new entry, we've known about this for a long time that they're coming. How do you think they're going to fare this year, being realistic? I mean, I'm being realistic, I don't think that they're going to, you know, beat beat everybody off the bat but you know given their resources and how much you know they have at their disposal how do you think they'll go this year and how long do you reckon it's going to take for them to get to perhaps the pointy end of the grid where you got your Audi and your Tachita teams at the moment I think if if Jaguar is anything to go by and they've they've been in since season three I think um they've they've done better every season and that's sort of been a work in progress at Jaguar I sort of expect Mercedes um, and Porsche to maybe go a little bit quicker um, just with the resources uh, that they've got I would expect by the end of season 7 start of season 8 they will be up the top I think at the moment and Chris and I have them finishing 9th and 10th this season out of 12 so I've got Mercedes at 9, Porsche at 10 and Chris has Porsche at 9 and Mercedes at 10 but that's solely because they'll be learning um, it'll be a transition year um, Mercedes has a customer team as well so I Venturi isn't yes it, it is yeah so yep. last season Venturi um, were the manufacturer team and they gave HWA uh, their powertrain but now it's reversed so it's yeah I think it's going to be you know that's that's a lot to take on having a customer as well as as um, you know a full works entry. It's it's going to be interesting for Mercedes this year. Do you reckon it could be work to their advantage having Venturi as a customer team? I mean, we have that theory in all motorsport. I guess you know the more cars you might have on the grid, the more you can learn and the data you can gather and everything. So perhaps it might speed up their process in comparison to Porsche. Yeah, I think uh, obviously it's good having two sets of data. I think they'll work pretty closely considering um, considering the boss at Venturi, Susie Wolf. So yeah, I think uh, Toto and Susie. Um, will be, you know, surely they'll be talking about how they can move up the grid. Surely. Um, yeah. Uh, All right. <laughs> did, did you know that? What's that? that Susie Wolf was the team boss of Venturi Formula yeah, e. yeah, I did, yeah. And it was um, instrumental, I guess, in getting Felipe Massa over to the team, given their link previously at williams together as well yes yeah um yeah. And, and those two and s- yeah those two will work closely as well yeah and unchanged lineup there for venturi which is good eduardo mortara there with massa and good to see massa going around again for another um season of full-time racing it kind of seemed a little bit sad to lose him from formula one but you know given the the state that williams were in at the time it was um it was bound to happen but speaking of other lineups Porsche so you know they've got a a solid combination you know Neil Yarny coming back to Formula E he raced uh, I forgot what team it was for a while ago and Andre Lotterer who comes out of that um, race winning to Cheetah Car where he was teammate with John Eric Verne for the last couple of seasons and now into the Porsche car what do you reckon their combination is going to be like given that they've been teammates with Porsche and LMP1 previously but do you reckon you know they have enough experience to take this team forward like they're both world-class drivers but in terms of Formula E experience how do you rate their chances well I think Neil's been doing a lot of development on the car um, because he was he was announced a long, long time ago with Porsche, and um, yeah. we've sort of been waiting for the announcement, waiting for the announcement, and everyone had Brendan Hartley on their mind. Uh, so did I, actually. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's he's probably been doing a lot of the development there, um, as well as Brendan Hartley, and I think having those two on board, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, a decent car out of the blocks. Lotterer... A great defender I think if he can 
if he can boost himself up the grid, he'll stay there and score good points. He's, you know, he's just relentless in chasing. You know, I think he's one of those guys that the other drivers don't want behind them because he'll just he'll just put it up the inside. He'll he'll force the issue, um, and his race style is very very aggressive. And I mean, he was unlucky not to get a win last season. He's a very very good driver, and I think Porsche have done very well to be able to get him. Yeah, and um, I guess would it have been a bit risky putting Hartley, who's a rookie this year in Formula E, he's with Dragon, isn't he? And alongside another rookie in Nico Muller, um, would it have been a risk for Porsche to put a rookie alongside Neil Yarny, who hasn't had that Formula E race experience for quite some time? Yeah, I think, you know, the data that they had on Hartley and um, what they were seeing out of Lotterer, um, you know, I think if it was me, I probably would have gone for Lotterer as well. And and that's just, he's got the experience. He's, you know, a, a podium getter. He, he can, you know, he can put the car in places where, you know, I mean, the DS to Cheetah car is a very good car, but in, in races, he was outpacing Vern, you know. Vern eventually, and over the course of a season... But in some single races, Lotterer was definitely there. So if you could get Lotterer, you would have to. That's it. Yeah. Highly rated driver wherever he goes, basically. So, yeah, no, good to see that. Um, Speaking of Jean-Eric Verne, obviously you're a big fan of the um, combination that he had with Lotterer. So still still, um, in grievance over that not being the case anymore or you're looking forward to seeing them fighting on track for different teams this year yeah i think chris and i are both uh, very excited to see da costa um obviously da costa and sims didn't really get the ball rolling apart from antonio's win uh, of the first race of last season but yeah i think it just sort of petered off he needs to really keep keep up and and consistency, which in Formula E is key. But yeah, he needs to do something because I think Jean Eric Verne over the course of a season will be very hard to beat. Uh, Lotterer, you know, he may have done it. He he may have done it if he had a bit more luck. But um, I'm I'm not sure Antonio can do it. Da Costa's a good driver and. Um, I just, I just think Jeb's better. Yep, and um, speaking of, I guess, Jev and the championship and everything, so he's won back-to-back titles, first driver in Formula E to do so. New season, is he going to run away with it this year? Is he going to be the more consistent driver, as you say, or is there someone else who can take the challenge to him from another team? Um yeah, who who do you rate as being, I guess, the, the championship contenders? I've got your top 10 lists here. It looks really good, actually, but I'll let you explain um, who you've got to, to challenge for the crown this year. Yeah, for me, Sebastian Buemi, he's always there. Who He's just mighty in qualifying, so he'll, he'll always be up there. Uh, and the Nissan is a very, well, last season it was a very fast car. Uh, Robin Freins, the Dutchman, he, he drives for Envision Virgin. And they have the Audi powertrain, which is a very highly rated powertrain, and and it's it's mm-hmm. very quick. Uh, Lucas Degrassi is always there, um, and De Costa, but that's only if he can stick with Vern. Um, Chris also has Mitch Evans, the Kiwi. He's putting putting, yep. putting a lot of faith in Jaguar and Mitch Evans, and uh, Sam Sam Bird as well, who's also in the other seat uh, for Envision, Envision Virgin. Those are sort of the protagonists, I reckon. And I've given it to Robin Freins. I reckon he will win. Mm. Yeah, sort of an outside bet, but uh, he had two wins last season. Very fast, I think. Qualifying-wise, he just needed to be up the grid a bit further. He sort of found himself in the pack. And when you do that in Formula E, you're sort of asking for trouble. Yeah, given that you know you're all on street circuits, basically concrete jungles. Qualifying is quite um, 
key when it comes to any sort of street circuit. So you're saying that, yeah, getting a, having a better qualifying, being more on the pointy end of the grid um, is going to help Freins' case. And he's been highly rated throughout his entire career as Freins. And I'm not sure if he's um, actually won any major championships um, since his junior formula days. I mean, I did get to see him win the Bathurst 12-hour in a GT Audi car a few years ago. But, um, yeah, apart from GT racing, I don't know if he's won anything significant. Yeah, I'm, I haven't really followed him too closely, but I I just thought last year he looked incredible. And, <laughs> and I mean, if, if the luck went his way then he definitely could be. I think he was leading the championship late into the season uh, last year, but it just didn't come together. And obviously the Audi powertrain as well. Um, Daniel Apt and Lucas Degrassi. Degrassi seems to have got the better of Apt the last few seasons, and so that's why he's there and Apt's not. Yeah, you don't really see much of Apt um, at the pointy end. Even when Degrassi was uh, won his championship as well, you didn't really see Apt feature much. So I guess he's kind of just there, not really making up the numbers, but you know, just there as the solid number two driver for for Audi. Yeah, I mean Apt. I think his best race was season four in Germany in his home race. He had a clean sweep. He won the race. Uh, I think he led every lap. And he had fastest lap and pole. He had the whole lot. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, an absolutely flawless weekend. So he can do it. Um, but, yeah, he sort of hasn't been able to trump Degrassi too often like that. Hmm. Yep, and as far as team's championship is concerned as well, um, who do you reckon? I mean, when you look at the lineups, um, Virgin have a pretty solid lineup. Like you've got both their drivers being top ten in the championship. Nissan as well um, with Boemi and Ollie Rowland, who has been pretty solid so far. So yeah, you reckon those are going to be the guys fighting to cheetah for the um, team's championship? Any others that can get up there? Um, I think it'll be those two probably. I think it'll be Envision Virgin, Tachita, and Nissan. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. And um, Mitch Evans, excited to see him do some good things as well this year. Uh, and given you said before, Jaguar, they've been on the rise. They've gradually built their way. Is this the year that they really get into the championship Um battle or are they still probably a year away from being at that top tier level they're probably another year away and i think chris my co-host would agree um but they are doing good things and they won't be in the team's championship but that's only because they've got james collado who's a rookie uh yeah. partnering mitch evans this season i think mitch evans and i mean my co-host chris he's got him third in the championship this year so you know, he obviously puts a lot of faith in him. I've got him in seventh. I think he'll be, yeah, he'll be in the top ten. He's quick, good at qualifying. Um, Jaguar got their first win last season. They will be there or thereabouts. The the thing with Formula E is that out of 13 races last season, there was nine different winners. So y you have a completely wide open midfield, which... It's just incredible, and anyone anyone yeah. can win. Anyone can win, and you know someone like Nico Muller, Brendan Hartley, if they won a race, that would completely skew the table. It would just be incredible. It would, and that's what excites me about you know possibly watching the entire season this year is how every weekend there is no. I don't want to say there is no form guide as such, but it's kind of left up in the air as to, you know, who's going to get on pole position and who's going to, um, who can win. And nine different winners, you know, out of your 13 races, that's a pretty, pretty um, exciting, you know, result sheet to look at at the end of the year. I mean, compared to other categories at the moment, you know, let's say, Formula One, for example, where you've only been limited to three teams winning over the last five years, it does kind of wear off a little bit. But, you know, they're working on ways to, to change that. But Formula E kind of reminds me of MotoGP in a way where 
you know, you do have those midfielders in with an opportunity to win the race on any given weekend. And same thing in the Aussie Supercars Championship as well, where maybe not so much this year where you've had two teams really um, take a stranglehold of it. But, you know, in previous years, you might have, you know, your your midfielders come through to, to take a surprise win or they get the better setup and everything. So, yeah, out of the 14 races this year for Formula E, I wonder who um, how many different winners they're going to have this time. Yeah, I think it'll probably be more than five. Uh, I think it, it's just, it's so hard to call. And in testing, I think they were 0.2 or 0.3. I think the whole field was a second apart from one or two cars. It was just, it'll it'll be close. It'll be very close. I mean, Verline, Roland, Degrassi, DaCosta, Buemi, Jev, Frines, Evans, Sandbird, even one of the BMWs could get in in the mix. I mean, there's so many drivers there that could win a race. It's just, and that's, yeah, that's just one of the most exciting things about this sport at the moment. Yeah, and that's um, going to be exciting moving forwards as well. So, calendar, you're happy with the 14 rounds that we've got? Um, well, 14 races this year across 12 different locations. I see London's back on the calendar. They Is it a different venue that they're racing at this time or the same? Because there was at Battersea Park, wasn't it, previously? Yeah, it was. They're actually on the docks at um, the... You might have to cut this out. Hold on. <laughs> uh, That's all right. <laughs> where are they? All the important questions coming out. That's no, no problem at all. Yeah, they're at the Excel Centre this time. So it's right on the docks in oh, London. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. No, so that'd be exciting because obviously in Britain they do have a big motorsport fan base and everything. But um, you're happy with the way that the calendar's spread out? Um, you know, we've got you know, just the opening round before the uh, end of this year and then January, February, and then when we get into the the colder months for us on this side of the world, um, that's where the championship really gets into the thick of it, you know, going to places like Rome, Paris, you know, those are great. The Berlin E-Prix is always quite popular too. And a few new locations I see, Jakarta um, and Seoul as well. Yeah, South Korea joining the grid. That's good to see. It's a big market for cars, obviously. Yeah, um, and no, I mean, who knows if they'll ever have a Korean manufacturer come into to Formula E. Maybe Kia might decide to to get in on the act sooner or later. Um, no Hong Kong, for obvious reasons, um, being emitted, omitted from this year's calendar, and they've got Marrakesh in its place. Yeah, Marrakesh is a good track. I think the drivers, you know, they won't have any qualms. I think Hong Kong's very... Uh, yeah, I think they're probably sick of going there at the moment, um, and and I think um, a lot of the seasons have, or at least one or two, have started in Hong Kong, and it's a very very yeah. technical track to to start with. So I think I think they'll enjoy uh, Deria more in Riyadh. Yeah. Yep, and two races to to start off the season there, which will be exciting to see. Um, kind of winding it down now so i guess what does your view what do you see for the future of formula e now you know it's kind of there was a lot of uncertainty about it in the beginning and you know as i said before it's kind of surprising that it has been six years but in a good way and now it's really established itself there like you know the drivers are all I mean, looking at just even the top 10 lists and then the guys who miss out on the top 10s in your, you and Chris's predictions, it's just an amazing roster of drivers. Um, they've really established themselves. How do you see the future panning out for them and also just the category in general? Like, is it just going to keep going from strength to strength? Is it just going to keep getting bigger and bigger? Yeah. Where do you see it going? Yeah, I think it will just continue to grow. I think it's been growing steadily, and I think as as more people find it, um, and and sort of see the close racing, see what is on offer there, uh, which is a lot, and it's very enjoyable in my opinion. Um, of course, it is because I do a Formula E podcast, but <laughs> there, there's a lot to like with Formula E, and with the likes of Nick DeVries choosing Formula E 
as a destination uh, for his next season. Formula 2 champion, very sought after. Uh, he could have gone anywhere, you know, apart from Formula 1, which he should be in Formula 1 as well, you know. Um, there's there's drivers in Formula 1 that um, I would have Nick DeVries over. But, um, you know, we, we actually did an episode on the, the Formula E drivers and... Um, you know, should have they had a chance yeah. in Formula One and 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 those sort of things, but but yeah, it, it's interesting that these young drivers that Formula E is now an outlet and a place to go if the Formula One doors closed, and that's exciting. You know, to have to have those guys uh, ready, fresh um, faces um, and future stars of the sport going to Formula E. Yeah, and it's good to see that it's not just like. A fallback now where you know it was kind of seen as this place where the formula one rejects go it's actually just established its own identity in that people or drivers want to be formula e world champions you know jean eric verne hasn't thought one minute about going back to formula one i'm sure with same thing with bohemi and degrassi and but for de Vries, perhaps he might you know spend the rest of his um well not the rest of his career he's still very young but spend a good chunk of his open wheel career now as a formula e driver and perhaps you know multiple world champions something like that you know that's got a good ring to it it does i think the the main or or the talking point will be when a formula e driver gets signed for a formula one seat and and that's going to be Rarely, when Formula E is looked at as, I mean, there's guys there that should be now, no question. But it'll just take a signing to really have Formula E as, you know, not a not an equal series yet, but one that, you know, is is more recognised by the Formula One fans. If it's not already, do you kind of get where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, say, for example, if. Pascal Verline um, ends up back in Formula One or something. Is that sort of kind of the lines you're coming across? Or even if De Vries or Robin Freins, who was kind of on the fringes of Formula One but never quite made it. Yeah, sort of. Or um, a Maximilian Gunther after a, yeah, a stellar but- drive this season in BMW. Or, you know, De Vries. Stoffel gets put back in a different car in Formula One due to his, you know, just outstanding drivers with mercedes you know mercedes imagine if stoffel went from formula e to formula one yeah and in a mercedes too that would give mclaren a bit of humble pie i reckon to to chew on but no it it is exciting and i did enjoy listening to that episode that you guys did of your fantasy scenarios of um if you know you could have formula e drivers go over to formula one or vice versa and stuff and a shame really that um given the recent news about Nico Hulkenberg, I guess not really finding a home on the Formula One grid for next year. I mean, it's a shame that he didn't really press for a Formula E drive if, if I guess maybe he didn't really want want it, but he'd be, he'd be a good fit in a Formula E car, you reckon? Yeah, I do. Obviously, Hulkenberg, very, very accomplished in Formula One. He just hasn't quite... Yeah, hasn't quite made the made the podium and, and has been unlucky with, with Renault of late. But, um, I mean, wouldn't they just be clamouring to get him in Formula E? That sort of name for Formula E, you know, as a series, they would love it. But um, I think a lot of the teams would definitely welcome Hulkenberg. I'm not sure that they would like his salary, but... Um, <laughs> well, that's I think the reason Renault wasn't going to take him for another year because um yeah, asking for the big bucks and everything. So yeah, wherever Hulkenberg ends up, um, we'll have to wait and see. And I do think he'd be good fit in Formula E. And we all forget that yeah, he did win Le Mans back in 2015. So he is no slouch, even though he's got no Formula One podium. Um. You would have heard as well during the week, or last week I should say, that Formula One's announced this new push towards zero carbon for, um, or being carbon neutral by 2030, and then at events in 2025. What's your reaction to that, and also 
could you see possibly in the future Formula E and Formula One possibly even coming together, like there being a point of convergence where, you know, both categories, maybe not combine, but like can bounce off each other for, you know, different ideas and share technologies and that sort of thing? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do this. Um I'm sure nobody feels that it's a bad thing. Absolutely, it's it's a great, um, a great initiative, um, and it's good that Formula One wants to be greener and and wants to look after the environment. And I think you said, uh, was it that the cars seven zero point seven percent of the total carbon emissions is the cars running? Yeah, on the during a, a race, yes, and yeah. most of the. Um, most of, I guess, their carbon footprint is, you know, what goes on at the factories or, you know, even at the racetrack with the fans and everything and also just transporting because, you know, they still use Boeing 747 um, planes to, to jet everything around and those things um, use up so much fuel. So, you know, just improving all those other procedures, I think, is their um is what they want to do but as far as like you know sharing ideas with formula e is concerned you know is formula e doing anything differently to reduce their carbon footprint as far as like all that off track stuff is concerned no idea maybe just cut that (laughs) (laughs) that's all right um i'd be interested to actually i might even give it a bit of a further research after we go off air anyway because yeah it's really um not really uh, like i've always had a interest in this sort of thing but when you know motor racing is seen as something that is so you know or people regarded as being damaging to the environment and stuff like that when you do have an all-electric series a world championship and then now you've got formula one which is still you know the pinnacle of open wheel racing trying these initiatives it it only um speaks of positivity so i'm really intrigued to see where this leads in the future yeah no i am too as well it's good to see that they actually are are taking a stand and and you know drawing a line and and these initiatives can only be good for the environment um and and yeah it is a problem um and it's something we need to look at seriously yeah indeed we do so on that note i guess um thank you dean for joining me again um it's been a long time coming and i really appreciate you uh coming on and sharing your thoughts on um, the upcoming formula e season good luck to all the teams and drivers starting off with the um weekend in saudi arabia and um i'm going to be listening to you guys uh, because you're going to be recording every week now i hope um with the new season starting or you know once every two weeks and everything what's your frequency if you want to let the viewers know uh yeah it'll probably be every couple of weeks um i'm doing a lot of traveling up until christmas but uh on the at the start of 2020 will be when i'll be able to follow everything so there'll be two separate podcasts because there'll be so much to cover for the first two races of the season um, one will be coming out straight after the race almost we'll be recording on the Sunday uh, and the other one might take a week to come out but we'll just see how we get on but we'll try and get one out every two uh, every three weeks if there's no sort of racing on but yeah we'll hopefully be able to cover it pretty well yeah very exciting and you guys have also got the um the support category that follows um Formula E the Jaguar I-Pace trophy as well so we'll be keen to have a look into that and also follow what you guys think on that one too and so region e-racing you can follow it on twitter guys um at region racing it's a great podcast a lot of love for them uh, for chris and dino and dino again thank you for joining me today it's been a pleasure to chat formula e and i actually am looking forward to watching this um new season try to watch all the live races if not on demand if the timing's a bit dodgy so yeah it's going to be exciting cheers thanks for having me it's been awesome no worries thank you